Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Get fired up. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah, the best theme song in the history of podcasts. It is the State of Combat Podcast with Boy BC. Round two this week of the MMA. I know what you're saying. You're a box guy. Where's the box put? Hey, why don't you give me some good box fights to talk about? We'll be back next week with Bartholomew and I. But I'm sitting here. Okay, looking in the eyes of a Hall of Famer, the one and only, always sweet, never sour, an earthquake survivor, the tower of power, he is Sugar Rashad Evans. Rashad, twice in one week, my man, as we set the table for Saturday's fights, what's happening? Not much, man, not much at all. Just getting ready for this weekend, man, some exciting fights, you know. I can see a wrestler in Blaze get down, and you know I'm all about that wrestling. You are. You are all about that wrestling. <laughs> the wrestling. You mentioned his name. We got a great show for you today. Not only are we going to set the stage, preview all things UFC Fight Night Vegas this weekend. Blades against Volkov in that main event. A lot of sneaky good fights on that card that we're about to get to. We got Curtis Blades himself today on this show. And spoiler alert. Uh, he ain't pulling no punches, Rashad, on all things fighter pay, Francis Ngannou, whatever you want to bring. You set him up, razor blades will knock him down. So get excited about that. He's basically like, fight me, folks. I didn't come here to do no challenges. I came here to fight. Put me in a ring. Fight me. Fight me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rashad, this life is crazy, but you know what I'm doing to better myself? What's that, BC? urgings of my wife and kids who pretty much hate me during this quarantine are uh, running three miles every morning and life is just so much easier to handle when you cleanse the palate to start the day right you get a little bit of your own sweat on you oh yeah absolutely man i, I got my day started almost every morning with a nice workout man i go out to the gym and train with the guys man and uh, it, it makes a world of difference when it comes to mental clarity, you know, being able to get that, that mental exhaustion, that physical exhaustion brings you to just a total uh, place of calmness. At least for me, it does. I need some peace and harmony. Going to leave the beers in the fridge. Going to start running in the morning. Okay. There you go, BC. There you go. I mean, you know, challenge yourself. What about, that, what about that sparring match challenge we, we were talking about? Myself and Brandon Wise. Well, that man is a tall drink of angry water there. I don't know if I should accept, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't jack. There's still time <laughs> in the best shape of my life. Um, I don't know if I should go the full Rashad here, though, and give up meat altogether. Rashad, I know the physical benefits of switching from meat to a plant-based diet, but mentally, can you sell me on that? Uh, mentally, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're a diehard meat eater, it will be a tough transition, but once you start feeling the results and feeling your body and feeling aches and pains go away, then it kind of gives you a little bit of positive reinforcement to make you kind of want to stay away from the meat. That's the only thing I can give to you. But I mean, this is the this is meat season. If there's any meat season, it's right now in the summertime where it's barbecue season. So it's hard to say no to the burgers and, and the hot dogs and, and the steaks on a grill right now. I can understand that, but it may help you out, BC. You're right. You're right. It's barbecue season. It's really hard to go no meat when you want that injection. You slipper the hot beef injection. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you very much. All righty then. Uh, Rashad, we got a great show. A couple of news and notes, a couple of headlines to look at. But right after, we take a quick pause for the cause on the other side. It's your boys, BC and Rashad. Curtis Blades to follow. UFC Fight Night this week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back, BC. 
Rashad Evans, sir, let me give you a little bit of extra news that we have encountered over the last few days in the sport of MMA. Sources, Rashad, are working, say that the UFC is working on a comeback fight. This is Ariel Hawani of ESPN reporting for Yoel Romero this August at middleweight against one Uriah Hall. Ooh. Baby girl, put it on me, Rashad. You like that or what? I love this, and here's why I love it. You know, Yoel is always a dog in there, and he's always going to push it. You know what I'm saying? But he's got a good partner in Uriah Hall who's starting to believe in himself. Now that he's over at Florida's MMA, I'm just seeing a different Uriah Hall, even the one better than the one that hopped on the scene because the one that hopped on the scene was dynamic, and he had he was less fearless, but at the same time, you didn't see the confidence that this – new Uriah Hall has, and I think is, has a lot to do with that team that he's with now. So I think that um, this is the fight to get Uriah Hall in the conversation and get him finally in the trajectory that uh, was, was thought he would be um, since, since he got into the UFC. Uh, Romero, 43, coming off the worst performance from a marketing standpoint. Look, I thought he beat Israel Adesanya. I'm no, I'm no judge. I thought he beat him. I had him up three rounds to two. It's a math equation, Rashad. It's not an emotional conversation, all right? Uh, but, you know, Dana, I'm sure they ain't happy with him. He's had every chance in the world at that damn middleweight title. Uh, what are we doing now? I mean, look, this is a good matchup. I like it. But uh, do we write him off? Could this guy F around and get back in the, uh, in the title contention? Yeah, I think he can, and here's why. Because when you look at Yoel, like – like we've seen in the fight with Israel, there was another level that he could have hit. It looked like he just doesn't go to that level. So when it comes down to it, it all goes down to how much does he want to fight and, and, and that percentage he wants to give in a continual basis throughout a whole entire fight. It seems to be that he does like 100% at times and then a rest, he's at like 70 or 50%. You know what I'm saying? And then he sprints for it. But if, if he goes at his capability – then of course he can be there. But now at some point, BC, you got to be saying 43 years old, how, how long can you do it? Even if you're Superman, at some point, Father Time knocks on your door. I mean, you're 40, you've got abs, and even you are envious of that, of that man. <laughs> of that man. I just don't want you to see, you to be frustrated again if he goes out there against Uriah and starts you know, laying an egg and doing the counterboxing stuff. I don't want to hear this again. It's frustrating. It's hurtful. And, uh, you know, it's something that's totally unexpected, but it's part of the sport. It is. Helwani also reporting the shot. We got a fight night card August 8th. No sight because I believe Dana believes that there's a chance we could Put, put some asses in seats, but Rashad, uh, I don't know if you've been following the COVID trend lately. It's, it's, it's just about telling us no right now. We ain't going to do that. And Dana did say he doesn't want to do halfway. No, no, no 25% audience, all or nothing here. But either way, it could be Vegas. It could be Abu Dhabi. We don't know. But check out this doubleheader. Derek Lewis, Alexi Olenek in your main mm-hmm. event. Chris Weidman, Omari Akhmedov in your co-main. Uh, uh, you taking that? You like it? I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Um, the big boys, and here's the thing about it, is that we need, we need some, some, some big beef injection. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need to have some of these big guys uh, going in or showing what they, we got. You know, the, the heavyweight division has been getting kind of stale with, with the two guys at the top kind of tied up and, and built, uh, dealing with their whole feud. So, you know, there's a bit of stagnation. You know, Francis Ngannou, making making room at the top but there's no one for him to fight so we need some contenders and this is this is perfect you know we got two two uh two big heavyweight matchups and and at that point we should be able to get a clear-cut contender of somebody to feed francis or somebody that can actually get to that point yeah weidman i agree on that and chris weidman was supposed to face jack hermanson that fight fell apart due to covid now he's got akhmedov uh rashad do you believe that there's still uh, well, first of all, shout out to the beef you were asking for. Another beef injection. <laughs> uh, do you think there's still light at the end of the tunnel on the Chris Weidman experience? Uh, because I've written him off many a time before. Uh, can he beat Omari Akhmedov? 
I think he can. You know, the thing, the thing with Chris is that he's had a, a really bad run and, and he's going against some guys that, you know, are at the top of the food chain. And, and at the same time, when you're at the top of the food chain, that becomes your regular competition. So you're expected to always compete at that level. But with Chris Weidman having the injuries that he had, you know, it really took a toll on him mentally. And when you have these injuries and you don't physically feel like you used to, it's hard to go in there and perform like you used to or feel like you can perform like you used to. So you see the inconsistencies in his performance and just more or less the confidence. I'm looking at the fact that this is not like a name brand fighter and no disrespect to my man. He's just not of the elk that you know, Chris is used to fighting. That could give Chris some confidence to feel like he can go in there and be the old Chris Weidman. Yeah, he, he needs it. Okay, Chris Weidman. Thank you. We're not hiding. Um, you know, I get what he's saying. He's basically like, uh, I don't suck. My chin's not dead. I just, you know, I just had seven bouts of bad luck. I don't know. At some point, it's a pattern, Rashad. I'm not going <laughs> out. Give me the rock holding match. Give me the Andy Silva trilogy. Look, there's worse fights you can make with the spider than that one. All right. But he believes he's still in it. Uh, we'll see. Hey, uh, Maheta, you know my boy Maheta, right? Maheta, Maheta's a beast. That freak. Uh, so Maheta is coming back from injury. Of course, he pushed John Jones to the limit in that split decision. He's in the news, though, by saying, hey, this Yana Kunitskaya stuff that you see on Instagram, it's real, brother. And we're moving to South Florida together. We're relocating. We're consummating. We're going to make this thing happen. Uh, shout out. Shout out to Maheta on that one. All right. You know, he <laughs> bangs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see them together. I, I knew they were the thing. I didn't know how serious it was getting. But, I mean, you always can tell by the look of the eye. And I did catch a few glances. So, I can see why it's, where it's at right now. Maheta, I see that giant. You know, if we're going to compare giant hammer tats on your chest, Maheta's is so much better than Brock Lesnar's. Right? Oh, my gosh. Cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's great. I've got one, um, and I got it from your mom. Hey, thanks, Brock. Thank you. All right, Rashad, we're going to bring him in right now. It is your heavyweight contender headlining this Saturday's card in Las Vegas, a fight night at the Apex. It's Curtis Razorblades. Buckle up. Coming at you. Curtis, how you doing, man? I'm fine, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Are you fired? the hell up for this heavyweight fight Saturday night as I am or what? Talk to me, Blades. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very excited. I'm just not a overly emotional guy until the work is done. I put all my energy into mental preparation and, and just waiting to, to release it after the win. I hear you. You certainly released that in your last fight against Junior Dos Santos in January. Uh, I feel like when you lost to Francis the second time, some people are like, oh, maybe Curtis isn't the guy we thought he was. Well, you came back with three wins, and you sent JDS to hell. What did that say to those people? I mean, if, if, you, if you don't believe in me, I, I've always said this. I could care less. I don't need anyone to believe in me. My coaches believe in me. My family believes in me. I believe in me. And that's that's all. That's legitimately all that matters. Like fans, the fans, they don't really. Majority of them, they, they, they don't even understand MMA. A lot of them are anti grappling, even though grappling is like the prime, the prime like martial art of MMA. So listening to fans and allowing them to sway how you feel about yourself does you no good. I hear you. I hear you, man. Um, when you consider. The fact that uh, outside of your Nganu fights, you're unbeaten in your entire career, unbeaten in the UFC. Uh, where do you fit right now in the, in the heavyweight title picture? Uh, I mean, right now, I mean, after this weekend, after I get my hand raised, I, I'm expecting these BC and people to have the, the trilogy in August and then I've heard the reports they both they're both expected to uh retire, so that would mean the belt would be vacant and 
I expect it to be Indomitable versus me. Wow. Time in December. Now, where are you at when you think about Nganu's name? He's been the big hurdle in your career, uh, you know, hopes and dreams. Do you like the man? Do you hear the name and get fired up? Do you get pissed off? Who is Nganu to you right now? He's just another opponent. Uh, I don't, I don't put a lot of emotion into these things because when you do that, you, you don't fight smart. You don't think about things intelligently. I'm, I just try to be a pretty intelligent fighter. I, I don't hate him. He did his job. His job is to beat me. He did his job better than I could do my job in those two nights. I don't hate him. I respect him. He's very good. He's, uh, he's had a great career. He's, he, he was able to get a, a title shot. He's, he's un, unsuccessful, but he got all the way up there. So to lose to him, it's, it doesn't hurt my, doesn't hurt my ego. Doesn't hurt anything. Like, nobody ends this game undefeated. Um, when you, if you're in there for long enough, especially heavyweight, you want to lose. You're going to get caught. He's got two losses in the UFC. He lost to Stipe. He lost to Derek Lewis. It happens. You know, despite the way that second fight went down, you had a ton of success in that first fight. So how confident are you if you get past Volkov, if you get Francis for the real belt, that you've figured out what you need to do to beat him? Extremely. We were extremely confident going into the last one. I know what to do. I, we all know what to do. What does Stipe do? That's what I, I just have to get him on the ground. I know it's easier said than done, but I've already proven that I can get him on the ground. I did it twice in our, in our original fight, which was my debut fight. So I don't view Ngannou the way I guess the rest of the world does, like a big, scary Godzilla. He's just a man to me. Yeah. I can, I can understand that. You have the championship men, uh, mindset and confidence, and I appreciate that. Uh, your evolution into a complete striker has been really fun to watch. Uh, what's been the key for you? Just tons of hard work with my, my striking coach, Danny Lopez. Uh, he, just the way he breaks down the fundamentals is in a way that it, it just translates very well to me. I, I never had a striking coach, but before I moved to, to Denver, before I joined Team Elevation, and I'm, I'm blessed that I was able to connect with him, and, and he was able to pour his time and energy into me. I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud of the, the strides I've made, the growth I've made. I'm, I'm especially proud that I was able to put my striking, my striking skills on this, on this play this, this last fight. Um, I know he was very proud of me. He's, he's always wanted me to get a knockout like that. So I was a lot happier for him than I was for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the heavyweight division can be one where, you know, it can take a while to really become the best you can be. You can linger. You can be late 30s, early 40s, as we see a lot of the top guys. You're only 29. How much room is there still for you to grow? You know, like how close have we come to seeing the best razor blades at this point? Uh, we're not even halfway there. This is nowhere near my final evolution. I'm going to continue to grow. I, I still haven't really added like a lot of the, the kicks into my game. Right now, I'm, I mostly rely on my boxing, footwork and my wrestling. There's still a lot of jiu-jitsu principles that I'm, I'm still adding. Like jiu-jitsu is going to be, like, once I finally get comfortable enough to attack submissions on the regular, That'll be my final evolution. That's going to take years, but I'm, as you said, I'm in, I'm not in a rush. I'm only 29. Even in Ghana, he's five years older than me. Everyone's everyone's older than me. I'm I'm going to be here for a long time. I've got eight, nine more years. Uh, I checked out the fight poster for Saturday night, and you got a sweet haircut in there with some designs in the side. Is that still hot and fresh right now, despite the quarantine? We're gonna see a, an all styled up Curtis Blades on Saturday. Oh yes, uh, my barber he, he he's still working. Uh, I don't know if he's supposed to be working or working. He was able to hook me up before I, I came out here to Vegas. So I'll, I'll definitely have to 
designs in my head. Excellent. Getting ready for that. Uh, let's talk about this matchup with Volkov. And, you know, outside of that one punch he got hit with against Derek Lewis that ended that fight, man, he has been incredible since joining the UFC. How do you use your skills specifically match up with what he brings to the table? He's a long, long striker. I like to use kicks and keeps. I like to have distance. I do the opposite. I like to be in, in close. I like to close the distance. I like to grapple. I don't think he wants to be on his back. I don't think he wants to be getting hit on his face or on his back. I don't think he wants to burn the energy that it takes to get back up. I only get taken right back down over and over and over. So I just, I think I'm going to win because of my, my conditioning and my, my tenacity and, and my power, I, I think I'm stronger than he is as well. Have you always had this same belief in your power as a UFC fighter that, you know, the kind you showed, like I mentioned, against Do, uh, Dos Santos, that, that woke up a lot of people if they hadn't watched all your fights. But did you always have that same belief in, 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 that you can end a fight at any time? Yeah, I mean, I've always had that. But, like, I've always also said this, why play the... 50, 50 game on the feet. If we're both equal on the hands, but I'm just a much, much better grappler. Why not just grapple? I don't like getting hit in the face. So if I can put you in your butt, you can hit me. I'll do that. I know the fans like, like the knockouts, but I would have preferred to, to ragdoll Junior. I would have preferred to do to him what I did to, uh, to Abdurahimov and Abu Dhabi. That's what I like. I mean, it's, it's cool that I got the knockout. It's a nice highlight, but I like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, let's talk about this quarantine in terms of how it affected the training camp. I've talked to so many fighters, man, and it's like some people are like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Other people are like, I won't lie to you. It's been weird. It's been different. How has your build to this fight been? I think guys who, who use this the quarantine as an excuse for why they're training I never been as well. That just means they're not they're not as committed because for me it didn't it didn't affect anyone at the elevation. It didn't affect Neil Magny. It didn't affect Drew Dober. It didn't affect Justin Gaethje. Like we're professionals. This is our life. This is we're going to work out. We can work out in the middle of a park. It doesn't matter. Like we're going to hit pads. We're going to pick up heavy weights. We're going to do you know, one sprint, so you can do that forever. So it didn't affect my camp at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing almost a split in some way between big-name fighters. Some guys are retiring. Some guys are sitting out and making a lot of quotes in the headlines about not being paid enough. But on the flip side, we're seeing opportunists, guys staying active, guys guys going for their dreams. Uh, where do you sort of sit on the whole idea of fighter pay, and do you respect some of the, the stances that some of these big-name guys have taken? I respect all the stances. I'm, I'm very proud of, of the, the sacrifices they're making. Because I know they're putting their, their careers in their page checks and jeopardy i respect that what they're doing because we need it we need big names to, to speak up because we do deserve more money like i'm i'm not even trying to be greedy but we we're on espn now even before espn but especially since we partnered with espn like that's supposed to mean something we should be getting we should be able to live lives of other professional athletes hockey baseball nfl and they'll be um, NBA. Like we should be able. To, I'm not saying we need to make 20 million a fight, but top top guys like John Jones, Jorge McGregor, like those type guys, they should be getting their minimum five million, and that should cause a trickle down effect. Like you don't. I don't like seeing guys fighting going through wars against another good guy. Both guys are amazing, but they're both fighting for 12 and 12. Like, that's a little embarrassing. Like, but to find out that these high caliber athletes, a lot of them have to have jobs still. Like, how do you, if you want the sport to grow, you need to provide more amenities, provide more ways for us to focus on training. You should have guys who are ranked who have to drive for Uber. That's, yeah. that's embarrassing. That's fair. Do you think this is the right time 
to to be heard, even though it's you know kind of going through a recession and no one knows where the money's coming from if we can't pack the crowds? I don't want to hear those excuses. I don't want to hear those excuses. The money's there. We get 14% of the revenue. Even if you just bumped us to bumped us up to like 29% of revenue, that would be a, a, a giant raise for guys. Like I said, I, I don't want to hear that. If you, like, if you don't want to pay us, just say you don't want to give us the money that's there. Just say that. Just don't make excuses. Like, I don't know where it's going to come from. Like, bro, don't do that. Don't disrespect our, our intelligence like that. Like, we're worth more. And if you just don't want to pay us, just say that. And then we can, we, we can, we can make our own informed decisions. Like, you trying to, trying to pee on us and, and call it rain. Like we're dumb. We're not, I know we get hit in the head a lot, but we're not dumb. <laughs> then, then, uh, how do you think this gets, uh, fixed? Um, I don't know. Uh, cause it's, shouldn't be this hard. Like they shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be like pulling t- t- teeth. It's just want to treat us better. Like you want your athletes to to be at their best, right? You want like, healthcare. Like you want guys to be able to get injuries taken care of. So they can be the best fighter they can be to come fight. Like, but half the guys get injured during camp. Don't have the money going to the camps with with partially torn meniscuses and partially torn rotator cuffs and then blame it on the fight so that way the UFC can pay for it. But why not just UFC provide health care so guys can get those injuries fixed and they can be better fighters when they're out of the fight. Yeah, certainly a lot of, lot of discussions to be had in the future. But final question here, how does this fight going to look on Saturday night? If you're a fan, if you're on the edge of whether you should tune in, what are we going to see when you touch gloves with Volkov? I mean, all I can guarantee is I'm going to pressure. I'm going to push the pace. I can't guarantee I'm going to get a takedown. So I... I would have guaranteed the last time I did take down. I went 0 for 6, so I don't know. It's a fight. It's chaotic, but I will pressure him. I will be constantly looking for a double, and if it's down even there, I want to throw my hands. And if, it, if he's blocking my, my strikes, I'm going to look to double, I'm wrestle. There's just going to be a lot of constant pressure. There won't be a lot of breaks, a lot of lows in the, in the action. All right, Curtis Blades, great talking to you, man. Best of luck for you on Saturday night. Fired up for this. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Wow, Rashad, you did not up to this point have access to that interview. I can tell you uh, what the man said, but he was firing on all cylinders, especially when talking about the fighter pay issue. He respects the John Joneses, the Jorge Masvidal's, who he thinks are willing to risk it all right now for change. But I want to read you this specific quote, Rashad, when I said, look, you know, this is all good, Curtis, but there's not a lot of money out there right now. We're in a recession. We're in a quarantine. What do you say to that? He said, quote, I don't want to hear all those excuses. The money is there. I don't want to hear those excuses. Even if you bumped us up from 14% of the revenue share to 29, that would be a giant raise. I don't want to hear that. If you don't want to pay us, just say that you don't want to give us the money. Just say it. Don't make excuses like I don't know where the money's coming from. It's like, bro, don't do that. Don't disrespect our intelligence. We are worth more. It's like you trying to pee on us and calling it rain like we're dumb. I know we get hit in the head a lot, but we are not dumb, end quote. Um, I think he may have some explaining to do up at UFC Central in Vegas this week, and Uncle Dana might call him over to the corner, but it might be justified. What do you think about this take? I mean, I think he has a great point and a great take. You know, uh, it, 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 that's, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, um, there is the financial pressure of what they're facing now and do with the new expenses that they're expending uh, dealing with this whole COVID situation. But at the same time, you know, there, there, there is money. It's just that, that everybody that were that's normally gets their share may have to get a little bit less. And that's, and that's what it comes down to is, is just complete pay structure. But, you know, outside of all of, all of that, what I hear more than anything is that, you know, 
behind the Jorge Masvidal's and, and, the, and the John Jones and, and uh, you know, the, the Henry Cejudo's and all those who champion the cause of not getting paid. Now it's becoming something that more fighters are, are feeling confident echoing the sentiments because those at the top have started to buck the, 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 the scale, you know? And I think, you know, at this point, there may be more. It may, it may become an avalanche and to the point where, you know, it, it does, you know, uh, come to a situation where fighters are holding out, you know? And, and I think that the more fighters are speaking out and speaking from this point of view, which Curtis Blades is, and he has some good, he has some good, really, really good points there. You know, I, I think once fighters start speaking out against that, then, then the UFC is going to have to address it some kind of way. He had some interesting points. Um, he thinks that, look, he, he just wants UFC fighters because of the ESPN deal, something he referenced, that he thinks it's embarrassing that they have to have part-time jobs, some of them. He thinks it's embarrassing that, you know, they're not, the, the main adventures aren't making a minimum amount of millions. You know, he's like, you know, a John Jones, a McGregor, those type of guys. One thing that was really interesting, though, that he brought up, Rashad, was injuries. According to Curtis Blades, he says more often than not, guys are getting hurt in camp. And because they can't afford to get healed up, they are going into fights knowingly injured, and then they're telling the UFC that the fight caused the injury so that they can get the recovery paid for. And he's basically like, look, we need better health care. We need better training and recovery. If you want us to be at our best when we enter the cage, you need to take care of us. Is there any truth to that? I can't speak to that. I don't know the situation. But are guys, you know, going in with injuries when they don't need to just to try to get the health care they deserve? Yeah, some some guys do go on banged up, but they, we do we do have health care you can get uh, if you're not if you're not um, doing going for a fight. All you really have to do is just go there and just say that you know you you injured yourself in, in training or whatnot, and they will the UFC. It, it, so that's another thing too. If if you don't if you don't understand, and that's and that's the biggest disconnect too. So there's a disconnect with with the fighters and just the information and, and the stuff that they do have because they do have the ability to get to get to get the help they do they need outside of you know having to do it for a fight they do have that ability but at the same time a lot of fighters don't really understand the whole health coverage that they do have so they, so a lot of fighters do believe cuz that's how it used to be that's how it used to be it used to be you had to do a fight in order to get whatever hurt was hurt taken care of but now you can get it taken care of beforehand but a lot of fighters don't understand all you have to do is just reach out to the medical staff and they will they will approve it and I think things like the Performance Institute has been a big step forward in, in fighter treatment. You know, go there, eat for free. Yeah. It. So that and, you know, we're not going to sit here and vilify all things UFC brass. They're doing no, you know, but they're doing, but they're doing some things good. They are doing some things good, and and I understand where the fighters coming from, and I think that the fighters they they need to come together, and I think this is long overdue. It's, right. it's long overdue, but at the same time, it, it it's uh. It's it's a tough situation that the UFC is going to have to face and deal with because now that they're going into uncertainty times on an economic level, the fighters are not trying to hear it because, you know, they they know their worth now and and the whole ESPN deal, as you said, you know, it just makes them feel like you know it's it's almost they need to get paid more. You know, I wish because Dana can deny all he wants the financial realities of Endeavor, the parent company. But Rashad, I think it's pretty obvious when you look at court filings and all that, like they took, the company took on a lot of debt when it was purchased by Endeavor, IME, WME, IMG, whatever you want to call it. Um, That 4.2 billion, like them payments are due, right? This is is the problem right now. Right. That's like the, the brand is thriving. They got this giant deal, but most of it, it seems is going to pay off the fact that Endeavor took on such a, I mean, they paid 4.2 billion. That's a ridiculous amount for a league. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, and that's what, and that's, and that's the amount of debt that they're they're facing because they, what they did is they, they, they spent a lot of money and now they're in the phase of where they're trying to get it back. And that's why they built the apex and all those different arenas. So that way they can have fights all, all the time, you know, they're and fit their, their time zone gaps that they normally have. Now they can have fights that, that go 24-7, live fights that go 24-7 because now they have their own arena. And that was, and that was a plan and that was a, a vision that they had. So they spent a lot of money thinking they're going to get it back. And now they're in the, in the phase where they're trying to get some of their money back. But now we're facing an economic crisis and now the fighters want their just due. 
and it's a, and it's really a perfect storm, you know. But here here's another reason why I feel it is is that you know the us fighters have been kept at our pay scale for so long is that when when you look at other sports like professional sports like football and baseball or or um, basketball for that matter, um, once those athletes make those kind of mo- that kind of money you can't control them anymore. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's, and that's one thing that they, it's hard to tell somebody what to do when they got the money to make the choices that they want to make, you know what I'm saying? And I think, you know, they, it's, it's a, it's a leverage thing too. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a lot that goes into, into this whole, into this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I hate using the, uh, inmates running the asylum comparison because it makes fighters seem like meat and property, but that's how they look like in business. And UFC certainly doesn't want to have 50 Conor McGregor's. It's already hard enough to deal with one. I just want to say from the bottom of me, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that, and that's, and that's the reality of the situation because, and, and that, that's one thing that makes the UFC fighters and, and made the sport so adoring is the fact that us fighters are so approachable. You know what I'm saying? You meet one of us and it's like meeting somebody that you've known for a long time. We're not pretentious for the most part. And we don't come at you with this big time attitude. And a lot of it is the fact that, you know what I'm saying? We don't have that that the economic separation, you know what I'm saying? We're not, we're, we, we can't pay for that separation. So we, we don't get used to not dealing with, with people, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that it's been one of the things that made the, the, the sport grow, the fact that we've been so approachable, but um, yeah, I, fighters got to get paid though. It's uh it's not exclusive to UFC, these issues, by the way, I was recently reading that giant, ESPN oral history book on, you know, where they interviewed everybody and very similar about the handling of the sports center anchors. Remember in the nineties, Rashad, you had Dan Patrick, Dan Patrick, Keith Oberman. They were like superstars doing that, you know, evening sports center and they got paid so much money. They're doing commercials and for uh, ESPN management, these guys became hard to control. These guys started calling their own shots. These guys were demanding things. So they basically went to a new model where, they never want anyone to get too famous and everyone's expendable and they're constantly reloading a new guy, you know, everything to keep yeah. them from having these guys that become, you know, too, too famous, too powerful, too rich. And uh, I think you see that in a lot of business where, uh, yeah, the guys in the office keep cashing those checks. That's life. Okay. That's how it is. Uh, let's roll on here with what, Curtis Blade said, and it plays into this Saturday's fight against Alexander Volkov, two top 10 heavyweights and a lot at stake, Rashad, about the potential future in terms of title. But how about what Curtis Blade says? According according to the Razor, he's hearing some things that when Dice Stipe fight for the third time on August 15th, that not one, but both fighters could walk away for good afterwards leaving the title vacant according to curtis blades if he beats alexander volkov he feels he will be in position to fight francis Ngannou for the third time for that vacant title rashad a lot of things have to fall for for that entire scenario to play out but i like this man's vision i like his confidence and he's here to tell you Francis Ngannou is just a man. I ain't afraid of him. I respect him, but I'm coming for him. Give me some of that, Curtis Blades. I love it. I absolutely love it. And here's the thing like, about it, you know, can Curtis Blades take on a guy like Ngannou? Yeah, of course. And he's been in there with him twice, so the whole fear thing is gone. If anything, now he has more of a, a chip on his shoulder about the fight, you know? And as far as his vision, his idea of, of what he said coming true, I can totally see that. You know, you take DC, who's already said that he's already at the end of his road, and then you look at Stipe, whether he said it or not, his action is showing that he's already looking at the other side of the rainbow. You know, he, he, he's, he's got his family, he's got his financial security with his, with his job, being, you know, being a fireman, but also, you know, being a champion all these years over. So he, he's set, you know, he's ready to, um, to, 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 to sail off into the sunset because he, he's, He's already exceeded expectations beyond belief, and uh, everything else is just extra icing on the cake. So, yeah, and you know what? And also, you don't even under, you know, we don't even really know how bad 
his eye was injured and what he's really having to put some patchwork on to get through a camp of DC, you know? I mean, some guys come like, you know, my eye has, may have one more camp in it. And that's if I don't get hit in the eye again, you know? So th- that could be the case. We're not all Michael Bisping. We're not all, <laughs> take it out, okay? Like, yeah. The injury that could cause you to go, yeah, I had a great run, you know? Might as well cash that check one more time and walk away. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Like, indeed. Uh, so let's say, what about this idea? At 29, Curtis Blades, uh, you know, he might be evolving into one of, if not the most complete heavyweight in UFC. And Rashad, his evolution, he says, is continuing. Now, look, we know him wrestling base. He said it on this podcast. He'd prefer to go out there every fight and just drag people down and, and be all over them. But he's learned to strike at an elite level. Three-fight win streak. That one-punch KO of Junior Dos Santos last year was a major eye-opener to anyone who didn't realize that he can do that. Anyone who hadn't seen the Overeem fight. Anyone who didn't realize that he's capable of ending a fight with one shot. But now he's telling us that at 29, he's looking to add that jujitsu element. He's looking to go out there and get submissions now to really be that complete force. Uh, I don't think it's crazy, Rashad, because I think a lot of people undervalue Blades because the two Nganu losses are fresh in their mind. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that as this division reloads with age, that we're going to see a lot of Curtis Blades for the next five, six years. And uh, tell me he's not a complete fighter right now. Like, this guy's got the goods, Rashad. Go back and watch the fights. He's a sleeper. No, he definitely is a sleeper. And you know, he, he's got the goods, as you would say, in spades, you know, when, when it comes when it comes down to it, uh, his wrestling ability, it, it reminds me of a, of a Habib, you know, someone who has the ability to take someone down and do the wash and repeat par- process. As I say, you know, take him down, let him up, take him down, let him up. And the only thing that was really missing in his game was before was the in between the striking that help him get to his shots very smoothly. But now he's got that down so well. You know, now he knows how to train, exchange punches and then transition at the part where the guy is going for that big punch thinking he's going to be there and that's when he slips underneath. And that's a, that's a technique that's hard to learn because at the same time, you have to be very confident in your timing to know that you're going to slip that punch as that guy is trying to think that he has you lined up for that big shot. And that takes confidence, but it takes a pressure moving forward and, and the confidence moving forward. And you've seen that with his last fight with um, with uh, JDS. So I think that, you know, with, with this fight right here, going against a guy who, who's taller, but at the same time doesn't have the reach, he's going to have a lot of legs to grab <laughs> and upend him. So it should be a, a, a Curtis Blades mauling. I mean, you look at Blades' record, 13-2, and two, okay? The first and got a loss. Uh, he was winning that fight. He was taking Frank down left and right. Retired at the end of the second round due to injuries and damage. You could say that, you know, we learned a lot from that fight. Look, the second fight, the 45-second loss to Ngannou, it is what he is. It is. He got smoked. But Rashad Blades has victories over Junior Dos Santos, Alistair Overeem, Mark Hunt, Alexi Olenek. Uh, that's, uh, that's like... Very few guys have a resume that good in the heavyweight division. If he adds Alexander Volkov to it, yes. Whether he gets the next title shot or not, he's in this. How do you think they match up? Because when I asked Curtis Blades this, he said, look, this guy's a good striker and all. What happens when I take him down? What happens? Rashad, what happens if he takes this giant Russian down? Well, I mean, what's going to happen is that he's going to be stuck on his back. And, and um, you know, Volkov, he, he does have some good jiu-jitsu off his back as far as being able to, to move, and he doesn't get planted on there. But with, with Curtis Blade's pressure, he has a very driving pressure going forward, and he, and, he, and he grinds his guys into the mat, and he has very uh, heavy pressure with those elbows. The only thing that maybe Volkov saving grace is the fact that he's got such a long torso, so it'll be more of an effort for Blades to be able to hit that uh, elbows inside the pocket, and that which may be able to provide Volkov some space to get back up to his feet. But if Curtis goes and operates from the half guard position, then he has a better uh, chance of landing some substantial ground and pound. And I think, you know, that's the position that he's going to try to go for. But Volkov is, um, is very tricky because 
trying to close that range on a Volkov is hard because all he really needs is to hit one shot. And then he has such good punch progression that you're getting hit with four or five shots before you even can react to the one, you know, and that's the danger with going somebody, danger with going somebody like Volkov who has accurate strike, has enough power to stun you, and then has the busyness of a lighter fighter to keep peppering you with shots all night long. Yeah, he's got the 6-7 frame. He's got a good kick game. He's only 31. In six UFC fights, Rashad, uh, Volkov has pretty much been spotless. We know he got knocked out by Derek Lewis at UFC 229, but he basically won two in nine-tenths of those three rounds in that fight. Also stopped Fabricio Verdum, stopped Stefan Struve, took a decision from Roy Nelson and Greg Hardy. He's had a good run here, but when they match up, look, I think Curtis Blades is that stock that's rising if he can finish him. I mean, look, if he can finish Junior Dos Santos, he can finish Alexander Volkov. Uh, this would be another statement. This will be a how do you like me now? I think he does it. I think he does it. You give him five rounds, I think he gets there, Rashad. I, I don't give him five rounds. I think he gets his done inside of maybe four rounds. I think so because I think that his pressure on top and his ability to grind, you know, he, he likes to grind, and, and a lot of and a lot of guys don't don't dig that grinding. You know, he's the kind of guy that to put his head in your chest and get you against the cage and just kind of pop shot you all night and drag you down to the ground over and over again until he's like, you know what, just take it, okay, just take it, I'm done. That's what he does to you, you know. Yep, yep. Uh, let me bang, let me bang, indeed. We <laughs> uh, shot the best fight of this night. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's the co-main event. It's a featherweight bout. Josh Emmett is back, and he's got a deal with Shane Burgos. Uh, these are two kind of sneaky names at 140, um, so yeah, 145 that we don't mention enough. Emmett's really only gone down in the last five fights when Jeremy Stevens broke his face. Outside of that, he's sending folks to hell. And I think Shane Burgos has really rebounded from that one loss and really put together a good run as a, as a strong, active, honest fighter here. I don't really know which direction this one goes, but I'm, I'm buckling up. I'm, I'm, I'm in this. Let's do this. I know. I like this one as well, too. Emmett returning. You know, the only thing that stands for me is, you know, uh, Emmett had those two big knockouts and, uh, you know, one against my boy, Michael Johnson, that, that really let people know that he's, he's somebody to be, you know, that he, he's there. He's arrived, you know. Um, but, you know, he took some time off and, and, and uh, you know, and, and now he's getting back into it. And that being an older fighter, that's the only thing. You know, when you start starting and stopping and stuff like that, it, it's harder to get back into the octagon and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, going against a surgeon, you know, Shane Burgos, who's, you know, feeling more confident and just, you know, wants to show people that even though he did stumble uh, – a few fights ago, four fights ago. Now he's back and better than ever. And now he believes that he can be at the top of the, of the weight class. Yeah, he's got a sneaky record. 13-1, and one, Shane Burgos. Just that knockout loss to Calvin Cater. Cater. Oh, he's come back. We've seen him get decisions, submissions, knockouts. He's been in some close fights, of course, but he's, he's often in the fight of the night because he brings it with that pressure style. Uh, if they're going to run into each other like two trains, I'm going to back Emmett's power in this one. But... This is going to be a good fight. You know, this could have main evented a, a, a lower level fight night card, and I would have not been unhappy. Uh, also, we're going to see in the women's bantamweight division, Raquel Pennington looking to bounce back from that second loss to Holly Holm when she faces 42-year-old uh, Marion Renault. But Rashad at 31, this should tell us which direction Rocky Pennington is going. And what I mean by that is, look, she only loses to the elite. We know who she is, but... I just didn't see a good game plan in that whole rematch. I didn't see uh, next level fight IQ. I did, you know, like I, yeah, I've seen her yeah. in the past. I've seen her finish and retire Amisha Tate, but I don't know. There was just something missing in that fight that kind of gave me a fear for her future. I don't know, uh, you know, can she evolve? Does she want this? In her last four fights, although she's fought elite people, she's taken three losses and won a split decision over Irene Aldara, which could have gone either way. So uh, this is going to be an interesting spot for her. It really is, you know. And, um, you know, fighting from that stale position is a very tough uh, place to fight from, you know, because you, you want to be there and you're, and you're part of you want to be there, I should say. And, and you don't know which part that is, is the part that's, you know, doing it because it's repetitive or is the part that, you know, wants to die for, you know. And, and sometimes when you're, 
in that place of uncertainty, you don't know which one is which. But when it comes to fight night, it's always it always comes out and, and you see. Um, so I, I would like to see Rocky get back on her th- on her thing and start to believe in, in her game because, she you know, she's still a young fighter and she's been in there with some good competition. And the lessons that she learned from the fight can project her to be a top contender in a division that's really not too terribly deep. And you're always a couple wins away from being the next one in conversation. You know what I'm saying? So she, she has the ability to still be there. Hopefully being on the same card as Tisha Torres, you know, gave her a little bit of motivation and helped her train a little bit harder and um, gave her a little bit more of what she was missing in the last few fights that she's been out there. Yeah, I wonder if Rocky was ever the same, not just from the injury layoff from the time she injured her arm and that accident or the leg in that accident, excuse me, but then the, the vicious loss to Amanda Nunes. You wonder what that does physically, mentally to you. But you mentioned an interesting part. Uh, they're in a relationship, of course, Tisha and Rocky. We know that. They're fighting on the same card. And Rashad, they both badly need wins. Like, this could end horribly for that marriage, meaning, you know, they could both take losses that lead to exits from the company. I'm not trying to yeah. be bad on anybody, but Tisha Torres, who has long been an elite title contender at women's strawweight, only 30 years old, but we've talked a lot in the past really about her inability, I guess, to evolve, but, but has a style where she doesn't have the power she doesn't have that next level submission ability. She's in it against anybody. She's got a motor, but she doesn't have that next level thing. She's got four straight defeats. Uh, yes, super elite competition, by the way. But most people don't hang around if they lose five. I don't know much about her opponent here, Brianna Van Buren. Very unheralded, fresh off her UFC debut with a win. But if anyone on this card needs a win for survival, it's the tiny tornado who has beaten some big names, but in their very early stages of their run in Invicta. Yeah, man. I, I, she desperately needs it. And you're talking about someone who, um, you know, her and Raquel have actually been fighting on the same vibe, you know, just missing that extra oomph out there that they used to have. And, um, you know, w- w- with Tisha, you know, I, I see, I see uh, st- phases of, of the old Tisha come, but it, it comes in spurts, you know, and, and, and then for the most part, it just seems to be that she's, she's just uncertain in, in ways that she used to never be. And um, it's tough when you, when you compete like this, because when you compete on a bubble and, and when you're on a, a losing streak, it's one of the hardest things mentally to uh, bounce back from, because it's not so much about, your opponent that you're facing that night. It's about all the other opponents and all the other results that you had that night as well, too. And all the, the questions that you may have around the, the elephant in the room, the fact that you've been on a losing streak and you just hate for those questions to come. But at the same time, that's, that's all people can think of when they, when they look at you getting ready to fight again. So it, it's, um, you end up fighting yourself and uh, it, it comes to the point where if she's, you know, it, it's a mental thing. And if they mentally prepare themselves to act as if as if this is only one fight and all the only other ones didn't matter, then they can come out of this. But if not, then it could be an exit. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I hate to see that. Um, I really love, by the way, I think even though Ronda Rousey, the launch of that Bantamweight division really, you know, put women's fighting within the UFC, at least on the map, although they had, they had done a lot in strike force to establish that. Um, Rousey was an attraction. That division was fun, but I really think it was the women's strawweights that opened up the idea of women's fighting being more than attraction for the, for UFC fans that it's like, we can get badass matchups every time. And Tisha's part of that original tough yeah. class late 2014, right? Those Rose Nami Yunus. I mean, there's so many big names that came out of there. So, uh, it's sort of like you always know how old you are when people that you remember when they came in, start, you know, retiring or getting right. knocked always like it's always a tough uh transition in that regard so hopefully she can pull something off there we'll see what brianna van buren can offer uh do you like this Bilal muhammad lyman good welterweight bout on the main card uh at the, at the very least they're gonna bang rashad they're gonna bang uh, they they Bilal, Bilal is, uh, is one of those guys who's always goes out there and uh and, and he gives it you know he, he comes forward and he's not afraid to to wear his nose on the other side of his face in pursuit of that you know what i'm saying that's one thing i love about the Rather, rather he's getting beat or rather he's doing a beating, he's coming forward and, and Lyman Good, man. He, he's a tough talent as well, too. And, and someone who, 
who who has a lot of promise. So uh, this is this is going to be a great great matchup, man. Good fight. A lot of people excited about this catchweight bout at 160 pounds to open the card. Jim Miller will move into a first place tie with Cowboy Cerrone for UFC appearances. Rashad, when he enters the octagon for the 35th friggin' time, this time against Roosevelt Roberts. Jim Miller, 36 years old. Rashad, it's been a, it's been like four or five years now where we're like, okay, another loss. Maybe that's it for Jim Miller. But, you know, he'll stop somebody when you least expect it. He's actually won three out of his last five entering this fight. Uh, you, got, you got anything to say about Jim Miller? I mean, he's as blue collar, as tough as balls as they come. You know, Jim Miller, ever since he's uh... – found a way to deal with his Lyme disease situation and, and uh, starting to feel better. It's almost as, little, as if he's got a spark back into his, his career, you know, and which is good for him because I know that he was suffering competing with that for a long time and to finally be able to feel good, uh, you know, to, to, to have your body back and be able to do what you love to do. It's got to feel amazing for him. So, you know, hats off to him. And uh, it's surprising to have, you know, that kind of longevity, but, the guy like Jim Miller, like that, you know, he's he's uh he he's one of those guys you're talking about that a staple in the UFC since the beginning. Indeed, uh, you like Roosevelt Roberts? I think that this is a fight I'll, that that he can make a statement with. Even though Jim's tough as balls, he's a two dollar steak tough. Uh, I think Rosie's going to eat that up. Yeah, I, I think I think this is all about you know uh, Roosevelt. This 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 is for Roosevelt to show what he can do. You know, um, lightning fast. You know, got got an edge. Uh, in, in attitude, and um, you know he fights. He, he's he's a fan favorite guy. You know he's gonna he's gonna he knocks people out, and um, yeah, he, he's somebody who can compete against the top guys. But he's got to be able to get it, be the guy like Jim Miller and beat him in a way that uh, want, you know gets a, um, the attention that he needs to to have his name thrust in the conversation of the top guys in his division. But being on the uh, being on the card the way he is starting it off, that's that's a huge nod to say that he's moving in the right direction. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. A uh, lot of sneaky good fights on this undercard, Rashad. Uh, we're not going to break them all down, but uh, the prelim main event, lightweights, Clay Guida, Bobby Green. Yeah. Oh, give me some of that. Listen, the carpenter, man, the carpenter can't go wrong with the carpenter, man. He just keeps on coming forward and uh, – I mean, you talk about a guy with nine lives. I mean, he's he's been in it for a minute, and he just keeps on reinventing himself. And, uh, you know, I think it has to do with the fact that he's not afraid to move camps, you know. When he wasn't getting what he needed at Jackson camp, he went over to Alpha Male, and now he's there, and he's found his home there training with guys that – that uh that keeps him young, you know, training against some some young razors that that keep him nice and sharp, uh, and keeps him imagining and knowing what the ne- the, the new trends are coming. So he's been finding some success. But uh, you know, Bobby Green, but this is this is my dude right here. He he competes with so much attitude, you know. He competes with so much attitude. But the thing that 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 makes Bobby uh not live up to the potential that he can is the fact that he's such an emotional fighter you got to be able to divorce yourself from some from some of that emotion in the fight so you can make smarter decisions inside the octagon and you see so many times bobby gets pulled into such a trash talking game or you know uh, uh, getting all anything just not about what's going on in the fight he gets pulled his distraction gets pulled away too easy and uh, going against a guy like clay guida you're going to have to stay focused the whole entire time. You can't be looking to whoop that ass. you got to look to win that fight. I whoop that ass. What can I say? Thank you, Rampage. Thank you for sliding in with that. Uh, Rashad, the father fight on this undercard I want to focus on, again, women's flyweights. We talked about it on Tuesday's show. We need people to talk about in this division besides the great Valentina. Roxanne Modafferi, the veteran, the mm. happy warrior, mm. forever. She's fresh off that, not just upset, of Macy Barber, but really, you know, slow demolition in terms of Barber's uh, injuries and, and, and gas tank in that fight. That's a big comeback win. She's facing an equally upstart Lauren Murphy here at 125. Look, this fight's the second fight on the card. It's not getting a ton of attention, but we're fresh off talking about this division for the first time in a while. Uh, is Roxy still a player here? If she backs up another win here, I mean, is it, is it too late to, to cut the 37-year-old out of the story here? Not at all. And especially the fact that, you know, Roxanne has, she's a late bloomer, you know what I'm saying? And being a late bloomer, uh, 
things come a little bit longer. Things take a little bit slower. But the things that she needed along the way built her to be what she is right now. You know, all the steps that she took along the way uh, helped to develop her game. And now she has she's developing um, a quite complete game and her stand up, the, the, the glaring, you know, the hole the hole in her game has has gotten a little bit better and not that she's a dynamic striker now but now she strikes good enough to land some shots that are meaningful but at the same time close the distance and get the takedowns and get the fight where she wants to and once she gets the fight to the ground she's a problem for anybody i think if she got on top of me she might be a problem you know she's just one of those people who just kind of just 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 leeches on you and just drains whatever it is out of you Indeed, indeed. Uh, this is this is an interesting bout here. It, uh, I like this division a lot. No question about it. She's got some weird, awkward cadences to her her striking and her movement. Too. Yeah, she looks slow. She's always she, wearing way too many clothes inside the cage. But uh, <laughs> like, yeah, wait. <laughs> she wears too many clothes inside the octagon. That's funny. That is hilarious. She got extra shirt underneath. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's got, like, the full long – she's got, like, the, the – if they, if you could wear a hoodie in the cage, she'd probably be wearing <laughs> it. on her, right? Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. But Rashad, 2003 was her pro debut. That's how OG she was back in Japan. Oh, three. That's wow. That's how right? Three. Wow. Rashad was, was, was sweeping up at the funeral home back in 03, right? Yeah, you're right about that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that is this card for this weekend. Um – Look, we're—I'm no shill. I mean, I—I'll I, put it on the UFC if I got to put it on them, all right. But um, I do have to say this, Rashad. We said it on Tuesday, and I do want to echo it again. Um, I'll criticize them when they need it, and I'll praise them when they need it. Uh, pro sports leagues are not getting back together anytime soon. I mean, like things are going in the wrong direction, and we got not just like decent UFC fights. We got great ones, one after another. Uh, a week, eight days after Saturday's card, it'll be a Sunday card, is what is going to be Dan Hooker and Dustin Poirier. And, like, I mean, come on. Like, this is – shout-out to UFC. Shout-out to Dana White. Yeah, I want fighter pay pick fixed. Yeah, Dana's a reckless wild man. But, uh, you know, I owe a debt of, gratitude, a debt of gratitude during this quarantine that, that, that my job is healthy, that we got this entertainment going on. I, I, I did want to throw that in for whatever we say. Yeah. We stir up the pot as the media sometimes. We're asking fighters about questions that we know is going to lead to hot button, you know, headlines. But uh, this ship ain't this, – this show ain't stopping. The ship ain't slowing down. And even if the COVID numbers get crazy – Having that Apex Center, this is a smart company. They know what they're doing, Rashad. I'm going to give it up to them, all right? No, absolutely. And I, and I echo that sentiment. You know, um, the UFC has done a phenomenal job of making sure that they have, you know, led the charge when it comes to professional sports and making sure that they've met expectations of how to come back and how to come back safely. And I don't think people understand how, how difficult that, that has to be for someone like, you know, the, the UFC and, and the Dana White and the whole entire staff to be able to do what they've done. You know, they've uprooted the company, went to Florida and did that for a few weeks, then came back and did that in uh, Vegas. And now they're looking to do that in Abu Dhabi or uh, the UAE. So it, it's um it, it's quite complex what they're doing. And like you said, it's it's a very uh, bad shine on them right now as far as the whole fighter pay. But these, these are issues that they're going to have to deal with. And these are issues that um, they're going to have to be addressed. But at the same time, I feel like there has to be some kind of understanding uh, with, with the fact of the fragility of the whole economic structure of the world that we're in. And I feel like that's one thing that the fighters may be missing. You know, it, it may be one thing to get, you know, what you want, but you don't want to cut your nose off to spite your face because, as you're looking to get paid, there's a lot of people who's not getting paid anything at all. You know, that's been losing their jobs and been losing a lot. And not to say that the fighters don't have a gripe. It's just, you know, where there has to be a middle ground in order to, for there to be some kind of progression. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's not that, you know, it's not that everyone in MMA is thriving. You know, there's been layoffs at the athletic, there's been layoffs at different websites, but I know Rashad that when I'm, walking around the neighborhood and I see a neighbor and they're like, Hey, how you doing? You know? And this guy lost his job. This lady lost her job. And they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, 
I'm thriving. And the underlying answer each time is because Dana White's crazy enough to keep fights going, you know? Right. So, uh, shout out to that. For- I mean, and, and, and enough for nothing. I was talking to a Bellator fighter the other day, and, you know, for what he was saying, he says, listen, I appreciate everything that the Bellator has been able to do as far as giving me pay that the UFC would have probably never given me. But at the same time, I feel like I'm wasting my years of competitiveness away because I'm sitting on the shelf with, with the organization that doesn't have the organization to make sure that I'm competing regularly. And, and I think that's, that's one thing that the fighters have to really look at when they're starting to, to, to want to buck and be like, I'm not going with this pay scale. It's like, what options do you really have? You can either fight or you cannot fight. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and that's really what it's coming down to. Dana, I have a message for you, Uncle Dana. I love you. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dana. Just don't just don't say anything more about the corona, okay? Just don't look into the mirror and say it anymore, please. I've had a great run, right? If the coronavirus is what's gonna get me, let's do it. Bring yeah. it. I'm ready, Corona. Come, come. No, 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 no. <laughs> level of money i'm sure they've got uh, a doctor walking around with a needle just ready to stick it in them if he gets corona you're cured on the spot all right there it is rashad evans thank you uh, enjoy the fights this weekend uh anything else you got anything else okay nah, that's it baby that's it right, we're gonna we're gonna dip back into the archives pretty soon relive your first bout with tito ortiz uh, a lot of good stuff to come for the state of combat cbs sports if hey fight is the only game in town this summer and beyond then uh cbs sports hq where, where you and i put our mugs on the screen every once in a while that might be a good place to uh just to stay locked and loaded and ready for all things mma uh special holiday greetings out to all of you we got fourth of july coming up what else can what else you want me to say i mean uh, Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar. Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar. <laughs> um, Rashad, besides two words, four is yours. You know what? You know what? I only got two words. We out. <laughs>